Good morning. In today's headlines, with the clock ticking towards a possible debt default, President Joe Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy meet at the White House today. The G7 summit in Japan wraps up. Hear what Biden had to say about Ukraine and U.S.-China relations on the closing day. Suffolk County lawmakers in New York moved to block Mayor Eric Adams from sending illegal immigrants to their community. Adams asks Biden for help with the crisis. SpaceX launches its second all-private astronaut mission into space. We have details of the week-long stay at the International Space Station. And a 93-year-old grandma and her grandson take the trip of a lifetime. We delve into their seven-year road trip to every national park in the U.S. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Monday. Happy Monday. It's May 22nd today, and Mr. Kevin Hogan is back. That's right. Yeah, it's good to be back. And you and Tiff are doing a great job keeping our viewers informed. Thanks. Yeah, we had some fun with it, but you know how it is. Well, yeah, and that's good that you're able to keep that positivity despite all the challenges the nation's facing. Yeah, speaking of challenges, we start with our top news, debt ceiling talks. President Joe Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy are scheduled to meet at the White House today. The pair will have another discussion about the debt limit. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the ongoing debt ceiling negotiations. Biden and McCarthy spoke by phone Sunday, a conversation McCarthy called quite productive. The potential default date is less than two weeks away, and concerns about the possible ramifications are growing. Senator Ted Cruz says Biden is the one person who can ensure that the U.S. doesn't default on its debt. A responsible president would have stood up at that press conference and said, understand and hear me now, the United States of America will never, ever, ever default on our debts. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says Biden needs to get away from the socialist wing of the Democratic Party and represent America. The president keeps changing positions. Every time Bernie Sanders has a press conference, he gets reacted and he shifts. The House Speaker doubled down on Republican demands for spending cuts. I do not think it's extreme that we simply say we should spend less than we spent this year. Meanwhile, The Hill reported that Biden projected confidence over the weekend when asked about the looming debt ceiling deadline. Mr. President, how concerned about, are you about the debt talks at home? Not at all. This goes in stages. Mr. President, I've been in these negotiations before. Mr. It started off. Shush up, okay? Thank you. House Budget Committee Chair Jody Arrington criticized Biden's call for tax increases as part of a debt limit deal. We're heading into recession. The last thing we want to do is add another tax. According to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen on Meet the Press, time is running low for Biden and McCarthy. We expect um, to be unable to pay all of our bills in early June and possibly as soon as June 1st. A failure to lift the debt ceiling would trigger a default that would cause chaos in financial markets and spike interest rates. Biden says he is open to making spending cuts but could not agree to Republicans' current demands. The Republican-led House last month passed legislation that would cut a wide swath of government spending by 8 percent next year. Democrats say that would force average cuts of over 20 percent on programs like education and law enforcement. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. 
And while the focus is on Washington in hopes of a compromise, we want to turn your attention to foreign affairs. The Group of Seven wrapped up their three-day summit in Japan yesterday. President Biden stressed commitment to helping Ukraine build up its long-term defense capabilities and suggested a shift in U.S.-China relations is coming soon. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the G7 weekend meeting. Biden on Sunday said the Group of Seven Nations had agreed on a united approach to China to reduce dependence on one country. We're not looking to decouple from China. We're looking to de-risk and diversify our relationship with China. That means taking steps to diversify our supply chains. He reiterated that the U.S. and G7 allies would not trade in materials that would allow China to build weapons of mass destruction, insisting that restricting such materials is not a hostile act. Biden said a conflict with the West is avoidable and cautioned against incursion of Taiwan. We're going to continue to put Taiwan in a position that they can defend themselves. And there is clear understanding among most of our allies that, in fact, if China were to act unilaterally, there would be a response. There would be a response. The U.S. president hinted he could speak with CCP leader Xi Jinping soon. G7 leaders renewed pledges of support for Ukraine during the weekend summit, with the U.S. announcing a new $375 million package of military aid, including artillery and armored vehicles. Russia started this war, and Russia could end it today by withdrawing its troops from Ukraine, internationally recognized borders, and ceasing its assault. Biden told G7 leaders Friday the U.S. would support a joint effort to train Ukrainian pilots on fourth-generation fighter aircraft such as the F-16, but stopped short of promising to arm the country with jets. He stated Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky gave him flat assurance aircraft would not be used to move into Russian geographic territory. But wherever Russian troops are within Ukraine in the area, they would be able to do that. Russia's ambassador to the U.S. said early Monday that the transfer of F-16s to Ukraine would raise questions of NATO's involvement in the conflict. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Lawmakers in New York, Suffolk County are moving to block the relocation of illegal immigrants into their community. They say hotels in the area have been contacted to arrange sheltering. Suffolk County officials held a press conference yesterday. They say they're looking to hire an attorney to stop Mayor Eric Adams from busing migrants out to the county. The plan drew the ire from protesters in attendance and approval from supporters. Mayor Eric Adams is renewing his cries for federal help and action from Congress. Adams is also asking President Biden for help. The New York mayor says the crisis is a national problem that requires a national solution. Republican Senator Tim Scott is expected to announce his bid for presidency today. He's reportedly secured two endorsements already, one from Senator John Thune and the other from Senator Mike Rounds. Thune is expected to join Scott's launch event in South Carolina and lead it in prayer. Scott will be joining a crowded field for the GOP nomination. That includes former President Trump, former Governors Nikki Haley and Asa Hutchinson entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, and talk show host Larry Elder. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is also expected to enter the 2024 presidential race this week. An Arizona lawsuit over voter intimidation at ballot boxes has been settled. The Clean Elections USA group being sued agreed to publicly condemn voter intimidation of any kind. 
The League of Women Voters of Arizona filed the suit last year. A federal judge issued a temporary restraining order against the activist group. It prevented them from taking pictures or filming voters going within 75 feet of a ballot drop box, openly carrying firearms, or wearing body armor within 250 feet of the boxes. It also required they not speak to anyone dropping off ballots and that they correct any false statements made about election laws. Meta was hit with a record $1.3 billion fine by European privacy regulators, this for its handling for, of user information. The social media company was also given five months to stop transferring users' data to the United States. The fine was imposed by Ireland's Data Protection Commissioner. Meta said it will appeal the ruling, calling the fine unjustified and unnecessary. The decision is associated with a case brought by Australian privacy campaigner Max Schrems. He argued that the system for transferring the data of EU citizens to U.S. failed to protect Europeans from U.S. surveillance. China is banning the United States' largest microchip maker, Micron, from its major firms. The move is widely seen as retaliatory for sanctions imposed by Washington and its allies on China's chip sector. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg reports. China's cyberspace regulators cited national security when it said that Chinese companies working on key infrastructure projects would be barred from buying Micron's products. The decision came seven weeks after the Cyberspace Administration of China kicked off a cybersecurity review of Micron's products. It said Sunday that the U.S. memory chipmaker had failed its network security review. It did not provide any details on what risks it had found. The Chinese regime's broad definition of critical information infrastructure could include sectors ranging from telecoms to transport and finance. Washington has imposed a series of export controls on chip-making technology to China and moved to prevent Micron's Chinese rivals from buying certain American components. The U.S. Department of Commerce said in a statement late Sunday that it firmly opposes restrictions with no basis in fact, and that the action, along with recent raids and targeting of other American firms, is inconsistent with China's assertions that it is opening its markets and committed to a transparent regulatory framework. Micron gets around 10% of its revenue from China. Analysts say the larger chunk of Micron's products flowing into China are purchased by non-Chinese firms for use in products manufactured there. It's not yet clear if the ban will affect the company's sales to non-Chinese customers in the country. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. After the break, we ask, did academia fail when it came to discussing COVID-19 mandates? We take a look at what was said at a University of Chicago symposium last week. And some people are seeing red after climate activists in Italy opt for an attention-grabbing protest to turn a fountain black. Get the story in just a minute. Welcome back. What's the purpose of academic freedom? A symposium held last week at the University of Chicago addressed that concept in light of academia's response to COVID-19 mandates and lockdowns. Let's take a look. The symposium titled Academia's COVID Failures featured prominent medical, law, media, and political experts and students. They discussed the societal impact of the government's pandemic policies and the censorship of free speech and alternative views. The university experts who convinced government officials to implement their lockdown strategy. Lockdowners got what they wanted. Their policies were implemented throughout the nation in almost every state. Their policies failed to stop the spread. They failed to stop the death. 
the university's response to the whole COVID crisis really shows um, the failures of higher education to engage in critical thought um, and the way in which they not only ignored science but cracked down on free speech and academic freedom and everything else in pursuit of this crazy ideological agenda of theirs. When people hear about how ac academic environments like Stanford failed, uh, people will demand reform. Uh, p places like Stanford, like Chicago, like Harvard are, are very important places for uh, the discussion of controversial ideas. Uh, and if uh, places like that fail to allow that to happen, um, it hurts all of society. The messaging to us and to the world could not have been more clear. Um, anyone who speaks up, is a threat. They are a menace. They are potentially dangerous, maybe even deadly. Panelists proposed various strategies to restore trust in America's institutions and preserve the liberty of the American people. A strong declaration from the Supreme Court that these public-private censorship efforts we saw during COVID are unlawful is probably the best thing we can immediately use to ensure a right now to prevent future abuses of the First Amendment. There's never been a time in human history when the people who were censoring free speech were, that we look back and say, oh, those were the good guys. They're never the good guys. What is it inside each of us that some part of us causes us to want to allow ourselves to be suppressed at behest of being labeled something that our insecurities make us fear more than the loss of speech itself? That's the real threat to free speech. It's the threat that comes from within. To view the entire symposium, visit ntd.com. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. The CDC came out with a study to assess different risk behaviors among kids and teens. One of the things highlighted recently has been skipping breakfast. That could lead to different health conditions, including poor mental health. I spoke to Dr. Shannon Crawford. She's a psychologist and CEO of Crawford Clinics. She emphasizes there's many other issues to look at before whether or not kids are eating their breakfasts. So breakfast is the one that the news media picked up and they highlighted. So um, I think that there's mixed information. Some people would say based on blood type, body type, history of eating disorder, it's important to um, have breakfast to make sure you're not skipping as a way to diet. Um, but if it helps your blood sugar, it is okay to go without breakfast occasionally. I'm not eating breakfast right now just because I do intermittent fasting. Um, I think the bigger question is the quality of food. And and so if kids are turning to junk food, that's simple carbs, sugars, processed, genetically modified, that's sluggish and that's not properly feeding the brain. And then it makes it really difficult to think throughout the day, to make wise decisions, long-term consequences, uh, study and focus. So I think there's several things on the table. The news media happened to pick up that one aspect about breakfast, but the actual survey was pretty thorough and robust. Considering, you know, teenagers are still developing physically, what's the difference, let's say, of some uh, a grown adult skipping breakfast versus, versus a teenager? Absolutely. So we do need more brain fat or fat for the brain, and we do need more protein. So the, the issue, I would say, is trying to eat more protein in the morning um, to try to give your brain enough fuel for the day versus American diet tends to be 
carbs, sugars, cereals, um, a lot of genetically modified um, granola bars or those kinds of products that are actually taxing the system. And there's more inflammation. Your immune system is more likely to fight if there's any allergens in that food. Um, so being mindful of caring and nurturing your specific body versus just reading a tabloid and then saying, oh, I need to carb up all day. Because carbs, if it's simple carbs, will then crash by the afternoon. And then we create a habit of going after uh, caffeine the rest of the day. And so then that's going to cause another crash and that affects anxiety and depression rates at some possible levels. Hmm, fascinating. Now going to the other findings, what, what, what are the findings that you saw in that uh, report that you think should get more attention? Uh, so the amount of exposure to violence throughout the day that the study was actually conducted about risky behavior. So I don't know that it was a fair correlation to say causation that by not eating breakfast, because at least 9% of the world maybe will eat one meal a day, that doesn't increase risky behavior. That just happened to be one assessment they were looking at. So they're also saying, are you exposed to violence? Are you exposed to other things that could lead to um, an increase of risky behavior and more likely to be suicidal or do risky things in cars, those kinds of questions. And then I would add, I don't see them asking questions about the cyberbullying. And so there's tons of stress. And then just looking at social media, there's violence constantly, sexual content constantly, uh, and then comparison. I think food is nutrition. It's how the body fuels itself. We don't want it to go into a deprivation state, but we also need to nurture the body and the soul and the relationships. So people throughout history have been able to fast. They've been able to go without food, but to go without emotional connection, processing stress, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, and then just the lead level of stress they're dealing with growing up in a social media world and all the, the hidden things that parents don't know they're dealing with, I think that needs to be the forefront of our conversation at the moment. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you bringing in a bit of clarity here. Dr. Shannon Crawford, I appreciate it. Thank you. She actually gave me some examples of stress that kids are facing nowadays. She said her clinic, for example, is seeing a lot of teens that are getting blackmailed on the internet for certain pictures they send out because they really wanted that attention. I wonder if that depends on, you know, just how social media has changed the way that we connect with people. I think that's a really good question, yeah. yeah. But Evelyn, do you eat breakfast? Do I eat today? I had a good cup of coffee, but let's say I'm working on it because in Chinese culture, for example, it's such a big part of, you know, it's like the most important meal of the day. So I totally understand why it's important to not skip breakfast. Wow. Don't take me as an example. <laughs> <laughs> Some traditional wisdom there. All right, so yeah. we're going to go overseas now. Climate activists descended on a popular monument in Italy yesterday. They dumped charcoal into Rome's famous Trevi fountain, turning it black. Authorities say about 10 people from a group called Last Generation showed up at the site holding banners with slogans like, Our country is dying and we won't pay for fossil. Rome police say all of the activists were arrested at the scene and faced vandalism charges. The group has previously carried out two similar attacks. Rome's mayor called on the activists to stop targeting national and artistic monuments. He wrote on Twitter, Enough of these absurd attacks on our artistic heritage. And now we take a look at some of the headlines around the world. At least 12 people died and around 90 are being treated for injuries after a stampede at the stadium in El Salvador's capital, San Salvador. 
Most of the injured are reportedly in stable condition. The country's president said a thorough investigation into the incident would be carried out by officials. Two volcano eruptions over the weekend. Mexico's Popocatapetl and one of the country's most active volcanoes has recently intensified its fiery activity. Several schools were closed due to volcanic ash, and in Italy, Mount Etna erupted. Flights were halted at the nearby airport until normal safety conditions resumed. No injuries were reported. More and more wealthy Americans are packing up and moving to Puerto Rico. Yeah, Puerto Rico. I mean, of all places, I wonder if it's the weather that's bringing it there. Yeah, and NTD's Jason Perry has more for us. Over the years, more and more wealthy Americans have been moving to Puerto Rico. This includes hedge fund billionaire John Paulson and YouTube entertainer Logan Paul. There are tons of benefits, but we should start probably talking about um, tax incentives. You know, Act 60 in Puerto Rico, if you move your business to operate from Puerto Rico and became a bona fide resident, it can grant you from 4% tax to no tax at all. Alexandra Amador is a realtor at Alexandra Amador Boutique Real Estate. She's helped many wealthy Americans move to Puerto Rico, from cryptocurrency entrepreneurs to hedge fund managers. Amador says they come mainly for the tax benefits under Act 60. Puerto Rico's government created Act 60 to attract these wealthy people with the ultimate hope of boosting the economy. Under the Act, people who meet certain qualifications literally don't need to pay any income tax on income made in Puerto Rico, as well as taxes on interest, dividends, and capital gains. And businesses only have to pay a measly 4% tax when they give services to people outside the country. And besides Act 60, there are other pros as well as cons. You don't need a passport. Obviously, Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory, so that's huge. You know, we use the dollar. Many of the residents are bilingual. The power is kind of so-so. Uh, so you will want to have a backup. Either it's a generator, a full backup generator, so you can have, you know, uh, a little bit of your normal life or you will want to have solar panels or batteries. The hurricanes that have been in Puerto Rico that hit the island, they come northeast. So, you know, if you have a property that windows exposed to the northeast, you should definitely have your storm shutters checked. Amador has tips for anyone wanting to move. Consult with a tax professional to make sure Act 60 actually applies to you. And learning Spanish isn't absolutely needed, but would be great. And when buying a house, it helps to have a real estate agent by your side. Coming up, the second SpaceX all-private astronaut mission is underway. Two Americans and two Saudis make up the crew. They will spend a week at the International Space Station. Welcome back. The second SpaceX all-private astronaut mission is underway. The team includes two American and two Saudi Arabian crew members. The capsules heading to the International Space Station where the crew will conduct research and scientific experiments. And Didis Kostamines has more. Three, two, one. The Falcon 9 and Dragon capsule departed from the Kennedy Space Station in Cape Canaveral, Florida at 5.37 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday. The mission is commanded by Peggy Whitson, a former NASA astronaut. Hey gang, this is Dragon Freedom up here with a new crew on board uh, 
orbit, and I, I'm really excited about returning to space, but even more excited about welcoming three new astronauts to Space Plus. It also carries paying customers pilot John Schofner, as well as mission specialists Ali Al-Karni, a Royal Saudi Air Force fighter pilot, and Rayana Barnawi, a Saudi scientist who will focus on advancing breast cancer research. Spectators at Spaceview Park in Titusville, directly across from the launch pad, cheered as the rocket blasted off. At the beginning I was like really nervous and then when the flash went, it's like, there it goes and it's just magic, you know. Axiom's launch has also prompted remarks from retired astronaut Chris Hatfield. It's just like we're every time we do this, we're taking new steps. We're doing stuff we've never done before. There's a lot of science, a lot of technology, but it's such, such a grand human adventure, including more and more of the world. The crew will be spending just over a week in space before splashing down off the Florida coast. Cost MNS, NTD News. Crew members of Axiom Mission 2 are scheduled to dock at the International Space Station this morning at 9.34 Eastern Time. Oh, wow, that's really cool. It sounds like a once-in-a-lifetime round trip. Absolutely. And, you know, actually, Evelyn, they're not the only ones taking the trip of a lifetime. Hmm, tell me more. So a grandson and his grandmother set up an epic adventure that took them across the United States. Their mission required a whole series of trips, which took them seven and a half years to complete. With their visit to American Samoa this week, Joy and Brad Ryan completed their goal to visit all 63 national parks. Brad Ryan has been documenting the pair's travels on Instagram. He called the Samoa visit the best place to conclude this epic chapter of Grandma Joy's road trip. Ryan says his 93-year-old grandmother made history as the oldest living person to visit every U.S. national park. The Park Service honored the pair with certificates and a number of other gifts. The idea for the journey came after Grandma Joy told her grandson she had regretted the few trips she had taken in her life up until then. Wow. Wow, wow that is cool, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Some 93 years old, and those road trips are really tiring sometimes. Oh, yeah, that's Pretty impressive. Good. And she was doing those roles. And, you know, road trips are awesome. I actually took a 4,800-mile trip over seven months. Hmm. Where'd you go? I went to Texas, down to Terlingua, Big Bend National Park, and then also up to Montana, Big Fork, and then back to Chicago. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. What a dream road trip. If anybody who's following me on Instagram probably knows I have a thing for national parks in the U.S. It's awesome. Oh, that's yeah. really nice. All right. That's it for today's program. We're wrapping it up here. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com if you'd like to write us an email there. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.